What is up, everybody? Man, it's so good to be with you. For those of you who are watching online, welcome. It is such an honor that you allow us to be a part of your day. And uh, how about the beautiful day outside? Can I get an amen? So, so good. Um, hey, just want to speak to the camera really quickly here uh, because I, I come bearing really good news for our North Campus people. Um, although, hear me, hear me, I can get in trouble here. So, so everybody, listen. Although we have not signed the contract yet for our new permanent, dare I say permanent, location, we have seen the renderings from the architect of what the space will look like if we do do it. And let me just say, it's going to be amazing, my friends. All right? So keep praying for us as we are working through the deal. Um, but uh, man, it is coming. The North Campus will rise again. Amen? Uh, it, 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 it will. And, and we've gotten a bunch of questions about Night of Revival. Like, are we going to do it? And, you know, uh, we unfortunately had to postpone it or really cancel it, not postpone it, uh, because of the winter storm Yuri, right? Uh, such a tender place in my heart uh, for, for, that, for that week. Um, but so here's what we're going to do. We, we can't make Night of Revival happen the way that it was going to happen. We, ju we just can't pull that off with bringing in guest speakers and different stuff like that with everything else that we have going on. But what we can do is keep the core of what our goal was at Night of Revival, which really was just to come together for an extended time of worship and ministering to the heart of God and allowing the power of God to move in and through our lives. That is going to happen, okay? And we're going to have an encounter night um, in just a couple of weeks, all right? Did we nail that date down? No, but it is coming. <laughs> Okay, that is going to happen. You're going to want to keep your eyes peeled for that uh, because it is going to be a rich and dynamic time. All right. Now, we have been in a series of talks where we started last week that we are calling Hey Siri. All right. And the goal of this series is that we would be a people that know where to turn in and when the big, le the big questions in life come up. What's been happening in our culture is we have been in the middle of a global pandemic, political upheaval, social unrest, a challenging, to say the least, few months, uh, what's been happening in the midst of all that is that it hasn't just been hard, it's also been confusing. And, 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 and what happens when things get confusing, we, we started using the term last week, foggy. And, and, and have you noticed that culture is just a little bit foggy these days? Uh, have you felt what feels like the, it's almost like the foundation of what we used to walk on is sifting underneath our feet. That culture is foggy right now. There's an uncertainty in the air. And, and here, look, unlike any time before, at least in my lifetime, the sense is that people are more hopeless than hopeful. That people are, are, are more divided and skeptical and pessimistic than optimistic and united. 
And in the middle of this fog of chaos that's really become our normal, if we just move from one hard thing to another hard thing to another hard thing, uh, is that we have to know where to turn. Uh, because it is easy to get disoriented when it's foggy. And, and last week, we, we kind of stated the obvious that Siri is very helpful when you're trying to fact check your overly confident children. Okay, Siri is helpful when, when you are trying to find a place to eat and you don't know where you are. But Siri was created to be a tool, not an authority. Siri is not a theologian that filters for us ideas, thoughts, and opinions that are contrary to the word of God. And so although we have access to more information maybe than ever in history these days, it becomes so important that we know where to go, that we know where to turn as we are seeking answers to the big questions that come up in life. Because look, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to get deceived. It's easy to get turned around when the fog is thick. A passage of scripture that really kind of is serving as our anchor over these next couple of weeks is found in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malice talk and evil suspicion and constant friction between people of corrupt mind and who have been robbed of the truth who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And jump with me down to verse 20. Timothy, that Paul wrote this to, this guy named Timothy. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and listen to this, in so doing have departed from their faith. We have to know where to turn when these big questions come up in life because, look, there's a lot of chatter there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of places that we can turn. And those places will either lead us to clarity and truth or take us down a road of confusion, devastation. And to quote First Timothy, a departing from our faith itself. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. And one of the questions that is loud right now in our culture is this. What do I do? Or what am I supposed to believe in the middle of the sexual revolution that is happening in society? Before we go any further, I want everybody just to take a deep breath. All right, just, just breathe in some oxygen. We're going to be okay. Now, I know some of you are scared for me right now. And I appreciate your compassion. <laughs> Uh, others of you are scared that I'm going to say something that's offensive to you. Others of you are already offended for the things I haven't even said. <laughs> and, 
And, and I know that, that in this room, there are families who have brothers, sisters, cousins, parents that identify as gay and lesbian and transgender or queer. And some of you, statistically, this is a fact, some of you are in a season of exploring those things for yourself. Maybe just in thought, maybe in porn, maybe in action. But the question of, is this me? Is a question that you know very well. And my goal is to do my best to navigate through the minefield of thoughts and feelings and experiences to bring some biblical clarity and maybe a little bit of healing and hope around the LGBTQ plus conversation that is consuming our culture. Hear me. Uh, if anyone here or, or anyone that you know or anyone in your family has been hurt, they've been bullied or yelled at or had horrible things said to them or about them in the name of Jesus by a pastor or a leader or someone who calls themselves a Christian, please hear me. I am so sorry. Those things are never okay. And I'm devastated at the pain that so many people have caused regardless of their intentions. Their actions have made distance between us. And I believe that some, if not all, of the complexity and the cultural uncertainty that swarms around these questions of sexuality, gender, and identity that we're facing in culture and in the church is to do with the, at times, silence, fear, and lack of clarity of those who have come before us. Honestly, historically, the church has not done a great job answering these questions. So we must. We have to know where to turn in the storm. We have to know where to turn in the godless chatter and the imposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge that surround these conversations and questions that culture is asking on this issue. We must know that the Bible, we must know what the Bible says and be confident of God's intention regardless of culture's tensions. Can I say that again? We have to know what the Bible says so that we can understand God's intentions regardless of earth's tensions. Our, God's intention, hear me, is simple and clear. Here's God's intention, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, who, this is speaking of God, wants all people to be saved. Everybody say all. Who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God 
and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The heart of God is that all people would be saved, not some, but all people would come to a saving knowledge of the truth. So if the intention of God is clear, what do we do in the tension? What what do we do in the tension and the confusion that we are living in? What do we say? How do we parent? How do we respond? Where do we turn? And again, to echo what we really dove into last week in the, in the big questions that come up in life, we have to turn away from the godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what falsely calls itself knowledge, and we have to turn towards the authority and the inherency of the word of God. Because to depart from the truth of the Bible regardless of the temperature of culture, leads to, again, to quote Paul here, a departing from our faith itself. So what does the Bible say? Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now let me pause. How many of you have heard, because this is popular in this debate, how many of you heard that these scriptures in the Old Testament specifically don't apply to us today? How many of you have heard that? Uh, An example would be Leviticus 11, okay? Now, Leviticus 11, the whole chapter is on what meat is clean and what meat is not clean. And if you touch an animal, even the skin of an animal that is unclean, you then will be unclean. And it specifically goes into a whole thing about how you shouldn't even be around pigs. Now, none of us read Leviticus 11 and say, okay, I'm going to hang up bacon. Right? So, so what do we do when at first glance it can seem or appear that we're picking and choosing what aspects of the Levitical law that we're following. So why, why, why do we care about some of the standards that are lined out for us in the book of Leviticus and not all? Well, you need to understand that back in the day, the guide of the people of God on how to live and eat and function and really the standard of how they were to behave as God's chosen people was lined out by God for them in what we call the law. And these laws fit into three specific and important categories. You have the moral laws, you have the ceremonial laws, and then you have the civil laws. Can I teach to you a little bit this morning? Some of you look a little nervous. The moral laws are based on the holiness of God. 
They're based on his nature, his righteousness, his justice, and his unchangingness. These are the laws that focus on how we should live, how we should act. They hold in in them the standards of righteousness, and they give us clarity on what is then unrighteous. These laws are given to us to lead the way that we live our lives. And these laws that fall within this moral category are known as moral laws. And then you have these ceremonial laws. Now, these laws were focused around regaining right standing with God. Because sin separates us from God. And there needed to be a process to go from unholy to holy. Something had to happen. And the ceremonial laws were a guide, including sacrifices and other ceremonies, regarding men's uncleanliness and then God's forgiveness of the brokenness that they were in and living from. The laws that fall within the ceremonial laws don't just include things like circumcision and sacrifices. They also include things like celebrations to remember what God has done, like feasts and festivals that the people were to do to serve as markers to remind them that God has been with them. Are you tracking with what I'm saying? The ceremonial laws were also the laws that had specific regulations meant to be distinguishing factors for the people of Israel against everyone else. Meaning that from the beginning of time, God wanted those who followed him to look different to act different, to feel different, to smell different, to interact differently and how that manifested itself in the book of Leviticus were these ceremonial laws that that had distinguishing factors for the people of God to follow and then you had the civil laws the civil laws no one debates because the civil laws are the laws that govern a healthy functioning society like don't kill people right the civil laws are the guide rails of a healthy functioning society. Now listen, this is what Jesus said about the law in Matthew 5 verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. All right, this is what that means. The moral law and the ceremonial law and the civil law will never be abolished. The standards of right and righteous are unchanging. But the ceremonial parts of the law, the laws that were put into place to restore us to God, were fulfilled in him. What that means is that our standard, our standing with God and the cleansing of the things in us that make us unclean are washed away once and for all at the cross when Jesus died and then rose to life, conquering sin and death. And when we receive him, 
the stains that our sin has left on us, the things that we have done that separate us from him are washed from us. Romans 8 verse 3 puts this this way. It says, says it this way. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, because it was up to man. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fully met in us. who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the spirit. The ceremonial aspects of the law, the things that were put in place for us to regain right standing with God when we sinned are no longer needed because Jesus was the final sacrifice, the sin offering for all of us so that in him and through him, we can have right standing with the one who sent him. But Jesus's sacrifice for us erased the effect of sin on us, but it did not erase heaven's standards for us. That said, we've been talking over, over the past couple of weeks about what does it look like for us to be Bible-reading people? What does it look like for us to have good biblical theology, right? And our theology is just our study of God. And, and, and what we've realized is that it's not good practice to build a belief system off of one scripture. And all through Leviticus 18, right, the, the moral law is, is crystal clear. Homosexuality is a sin. But we don't just encounter this truth in one place. Good theology is built on the back of understanding the narrative of Scripture and is anchored and strengthened through biblical consistency. Meaning that from the beginning of the Bible and God creating Adam and Eve and blessing their family to multiply and thrive, hear me, strengthens our understanding of God's standard on this issue. Even though homosexuality is not mentioned in the book of Genesis, God's intention is clearly mentioned. The narrative of the Bible matters in shaping our thoughts, not just on this issue, but on all issues. And that narrative is built on the totality of the Bible and the consistency found in it. Remember, the Bible is telling one story. It's not a combination of a series of stories. So when we then find in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, that it says this, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Or again, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, now we know that the law is good. 
if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, and those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, prejudicers, however you say that, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. These scriptures serve to strengthen our biblical clarity on this issue. The Bible is clear. Can I say that? The Bible is clear. I know you've maybe heard that it's not clear, but listen to me. The Bible is clear. Homosexuality is not God's best for us. But hear me. Our clarity on these things should lead us to compassion for those who are living in or wrestling through this. Homosexuality is a sin. And so is committing adultery. And so is premarital sex. And so is watching porn. And so is cheating in school. And so is stealing from the convenience store. And so is lying about where you were yesterday. It might feel different to those who are in the middle of it, but it does not change how we are to respond to it. Galatians 6 verse 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, how? Gently. Wow. Gently? Listen to this. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with what? Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Gentleness. And patience. Can I say it doesn't matter that we just know where to turn and the questions that come up around the sexual revolution that we are fighting, it matters how we respond. And I honestly think this is where we miss it often. This is where our intentions can get distorted in the earthly tensions that we are living in. Because I'm, I, look, there, there are people, and I'm sure they might even be good people, I don't know. But there are people that they call themselves Christians and in the name of Jesus are mean and hateful. And they'll hold up signs at, at gay rallies and gay parades that say, God hates you. That's not compassion. It's not kindness. It's not humility. That's not gentleness. 
And at the same time, we have sometimes the very same people not simply just voting for, I won't piss some people off on this, but that's okay. <laughs> not just simply voting for, but celebrating politicians whose personal lives look like a horribly R-rated movie turning a blind eye to all kinds of brokenness and sin in their own lives because their policies suit our agenda. Hear me. Can we just all own it that we've been a little bit hypocritical when it comes to this issue? And our lack of clarity and our lack of biblical conviction and consistency has led to confusion and chaos not to compassion and clarity. What if instead of reacting in fear, what if in, in, instead of reacting in confusion, what if when it seemed like culture was out of control, we decided to live from another kingdom? with grace and kindness and understanding that God has put us in the places where he's put us so that we can be a, a beacon of light and hope and clarity to those who are around us. This is a crazy statement, but what if we just were Jesus to people and then we let God be God to people? The intentions of heaven are crystal clear. So then how do we deal with the tension in culture? Uh, how do we respond to the questions? Where do we go? Where do we turn? What do we tell our kids? I want to look at a moment that happened in the Gospels as we come to a close this morning that I'm sure many of you know very, very well. And, and when it comes to knowing how to respond to big, hard things with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and at the same time not compromising clarity, it walks us through this beautifully. And that's the story that's found in the book of John that's known as the woman who was caught in adultery. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John 8 verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? 
They were using this question as a trap. How many of you felt trapped in a similar situation around this issue at some point in time? Yes, where you're like, how am I supposed to answer this? And it says that Jesus bent down and started writing in the ground with his finger. And when they just kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, he stooped down and and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to see that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees were not wrong about what the law said. This is huge because we we can say the right things, but we can say them in the wrong way and we can miss what God is inviting us into. And when Jesus is hit with this big question, Jesus, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of sin. Here is what the law says that we should do. What do you say? And I love that Jesus didn't correct them. He didn't say that they were wrong. But what he did was he exposed their hypocrisy and he said the same truth in a different way. They came to destroy her, but Jesus was there to restore her. You hearing what I'm saying? The religious leaders came to destroy her. Jesus was there to restore her. And he got on her, her level with compassion and with kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and clarity. And he says, woman, where are they? Where where are those who have condemned you? No one, sir, that neither do I condemn you, but listen to Jesus's clarity. Go now and leave your life of sin. Don't miss this because we think that compassion is not to be clear. Because clarity will create conflict. And compassion creates the illusion of acceptance. But in all actuality, lack of clarity just creates confusion. And clarity actually leads us to freedom. Jesus 
clearly said, go now and leave it. Turn away from it. The sin that you are trapped in, you need to turn from that and begin to look towards me. Hear me, clarity hurts. Clarity hurts. They lead to difficult, awkward at times, hard, emotionally charged conversations. But clarity leads to freedom. And when our clarity is clothed in compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, we're setting the table for God to do a miracle. And that's the answer for us. Look, we, we, we don't see transformation happen in our lives in the middle of an argument. I hope I've changed an awful lot in the 17 years I've been married. But none of that change was motivated in the middle of arguing with my wife about who's right. My change was motivated when I met the living God who was there to restore me and not to destroy me. Arguing this issue is not how we're going to see transformation happen in culture. Being Jesus to people is how we're going to see transformation happen in this culture. Being clear about who he is and what the Bible says is how we're going to see transformation happen in our culture. And if you're here this morning or you're watching this online, and you are attracted to the same sex, or you identify as gay or lesbian or transgender or queer, hear me, God loves you. Your fight right now is not your destiny. And I've talked with some of you, and I know the tensions that you feel and the pain that you've endured, and it is real. And with culture telling you that around every corner that your anatomy is not your destiny, I want to tell you this, that God has created you, and he loves you, and he has a plan for you to turn from the opposing views of culture and find life in him. Listen, 1 John 1, 9, all we have to do is confess our sin and he is faithful. Are you hearing me? He is faithful and just and he will forgive us. He will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all un righteousness no matter what you're facing no matter how heavy it feels no matter how confusing at times it seems no matter how lost you might feel like you are right now let me declare over you second corinthians 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is in christ they are a new cre- the new creation has come the old has gone and the new is here 
you, you might still, listen to me, you might still be in a fight, but your destiny is clear. Your fight is not your destiny, but your fight is an opportunity to see the strength of God provide a way out for you. Listen to me, Jesus is inviting you to love him more than you love anything else. The invitation is that, is that we would love him more than we love anything else, more than the things that we're attracted to. More than, than, than feeling misunderstood, that we would choose to love him more than anything because he gave up everything for us so that we can surrender everything we are to him. If you're here this morning or you're watching this online or listening to this in your car, I believe that God wants to come and to lead you into all truth. And as we were praying for our service today, almost all of us got the scripture on our team, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. God's here to move in power in your life. And, and, and maybe in a minute, you need to physically move from where you are and come up to the front and make a act with your physical body that the old is gone and I'm stepping into the new. And that doesn't mean that the fight is over. It just means I'm not wrestling with heaven's intentions in light of my personal tension. And then allow the church to be the church to you, to come around you, to strengthen you, encourage you, fight with you, be there for you, and believe for God's plan of restoration that he aligned and has for you to begin to live and take root in your life. For some of you, you have been lost in the fog of this question, and you have turned towards opposing views because of the temperature of culture and the tensions of earth. And God is inviting you to turn away from the opposing chatter, from the things that falsely set themselves up and call themselves knowledge and to turn to the authority and the supremacy of the word of God. And maybe you need to come forward too and do business with God and say, God, I repent for not having a biblical conviction that can hold me in the temperature and the tension of culture. And some of you might need to repent for the way that you have responded to those who identify as LGBTQ+. And if you take a really good, honest look at your life, you might find yourself like those Pharisees standing around the woman that was caught red-handed, but your intention was to destroy, not to restore. 
And there's a place for us all this morning. Can I say that? There's a place for us all to come up here and say, you know what? In the midst of the big questions that are coming up in life, amongst the giant fights that are happening in culture, in the middle of the sexual revolution that literally is taking our city and nation by storm, that we will have a root system that will hold us, that the winds will not affect us. Because the Bible always wins. The Bible always wins. And when we fight to see the kingdom of heaven advance in our lives and through our lives, and we do it with kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, God is faithful to do what he can do. And and, and I'm here to tell you that wherever you are in your journey, that God's for you, he's not against you. And he's made a way for all of us, hear me, all of us to turn away from the things that separate us and to run towards the grace that he freely offers to us. Do me a favor, I want you to stand to your feet. And as we close today, we want to give an opportunity not just for you to respond and come forward and allow God to begin to minister to your heart. We believe that there are some of you that haven't answered the biggest question that we face in life. And that is this, is God real? And I'm here to tell you that he's not just real, he's for you. And he loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life here on earth, to be tempted every way that you're tempted, yet he was without sin, making a way for us to experience forgiveness and grace and hope and life, and that the things that are separating us from God can be forgiven and washed away when we just simply confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says that he is, that he did what he said that he was going to do, that he conquered death and rose back to life, and that he made a way for the things that are dead and broken in us to be restored into a new creation. We say it's called being born again. And if you're here and you ask yourself that question, man, do I know Jesus? Is my eternity set? Am I going to spend eternity with Jesus? I didn't ask you, is your life perfect? Do you not struggle with stuff? Or do you have everything under control? I said, do you know that if you die on your way home today, that you are going to exit earth and go right into the arms of Jesus? And if you don't know, you don't have to leave here questioning that question. There are some big questions we're going to run in life that are going to bring up tensions that we're going to have to wrestle through. But this one can be solved in a minute. And I want every eye closed, every head bowed. And if that's you, and if you want to say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you right now. If your life is not right with God, I want you just to raise your hand. Let me see you because I want to pray for you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you too. Come on, anybody else? Come on, can we just all celebrate with those who have made the most important decision in their entire life? Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. 
And, and, and if, you, if you raise your hand, I want you to pray after me. It's really simple. And when I say amen, we're just going to be launching into worship. And if you need to do business with God, come on up here. Some of our leaders are going to be making their way around and praying for you. And, 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 and we're here to love you and to help you along in the journey. But if you rose, raise your hand, I want you to say this after me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Make me wholly yours. I turn from my sinful ways and I run to you. You're king now. You're king of my life. Wash me clean. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, can we just clap? Come on, come on. This is called a sacrifice of praise. This is called a sacrifice of praise. This is called a sacrifice of praise. Let it, come on, begin to shout, begin to worship, begin to tell him you're thankful, begin to allow the word of God to wash over you, to restore you. Come on, let's worship him with everything that we have.